Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woohoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> this is Tom Bouncin, and uh, we'll be. Coco Koski will be hopefully be joining us soon here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And and speaking of Coco, Coco, how you doing? I'm amazing today. That's good. I know you're probably happier than I am. At least for yes, most I of us. Yes, I am. Uh, well, you know what? We're still counting votes. Um, I think I was right about Arizona. Yes, you are, and I was right about Texas. I was right. I was. I was pretty right on a lot of things. Um, actually, I actually called Wisconsin an hour before they had called it. So, um, if you guys look back on my Twitter feed, you will find that around nine forty-three a.m., I said that Biden will win Wisconsin. And an hour later, they had declared that he had won officially won Wisconsin. So, um, I don't know why no, more people don't follow me. Because I was right on that. What can I say? Uh, what can I say? <laughs> I, uh, I was I was very right. I ha- I had called it. I got called it, and um, yeah. So uh, you know, I mean, we're still counting votes right now. That's what's going on, as well as uh, Philadelphia right now. Um, from what yeah. uh, basically, um, real quick before we introduce ourselves. Once again, um, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Nevada um, are Biden right now. Yeah. Yeah, right now they are. Yeah, that's going to be the key estimate because now we go into the legal side of the equation. We'll see what happens here. Uh, I'm Tom Dawson. They can't do anything. um, There's a reason why federal courts don't uh, get involved like this. There's a reason for that. Well, he can he can plan on suing. He can plan on suing like he's trying to plan on suing. He's trying to plan on people to stop counting ballots. That's fine. Um, but you know what? Uh, what? There also were some problems up in Florida with uh, people who had voted, and um, like a lot of people, like in the uh, in the Democratic uh, counties, and. Um, they basically, you know, their vote, their their uh, the the post office never really like officially something got mixed up with that. So yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, at this point, we we don't even need Philadelphia. We don't need Philadelphia. Well, um, yeah. well no, yeah. Well, I, like I said, I'm Tom Donaldson. I'm the chairman of America's Pack and uh, the Project Director Research Associates for America's Majority Foundation. And the author of eight great books, and soon, sometime in the next year or so, nine great books. All of them should be bestsellers, and eventually one of them will be. Uh, Coco. 
Hello. Um, my name's Coco. I'm a writer. I live and work in Los Angeles. Um, I'm a huge Biden supporter, and I'm over the moon right now. I was very nervous last night to the point where, uh, Tom, I I couldn't watch it. I was nervous. Um, I don't know about you, but we had ordered uh, we ordered some Mexican food. We uh, you know, we got some margaritas, and by like 7:30 p.m., um, I was like, this is me. I started getting a headache. Um, something actually really funny happened. Um, you know what a hall pass is, Tom? Yeah, a hall pass, as in school? Like when it comes to a relation, no, like a relationship hall pass that if you ever encounter this certain person you're allowed to cheat on your spouse with. Oh. Okay. It's a thing. It's a thing. That's so a thing. mine was Steve Karnacki. And so oh. I... I yes I I have a, I I think Steve Pernick is very very cute, <laughs> and so uh, some some guy named Phil I don't remember his name but he's a he's a big columnist for um, the the Washington Post I believe, and he tweeted about Steve Kornacki and I wrote oh he's my hall pass. And the most embarrassing thing happened. He actually retweeted me saying um, there may be a problem. And basically, I didn't know Steve Kornacki was gay. So I'm assuming that's what he was implying. And a bunch of people started making fun of me for that. And by that time, I was like, you know what? I'm going to bed. So I Mm. actually went to bed at 9 p.m. That was how my election night went. (laughs) Well, actually, I went to bed about three in the morning. <laughs> well, so 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 did, so did so did my boyfriend. He 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 said. Yeah. I mean, like he he literally never even came in the room. He fell asleep on the couch last night because he was waiting for Wisconsin. Yeah. And yeah. um, you know, by that time he was dead asleep. So um, but yeah, it's it's an exciting election for sure. Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, people are all over Twitter. I've been all over Twitter today. I think this is the most active I've been on Twitter in like six months, mm. you know? Um, I, I, it's, it's crazy. I mean, look, we're still counting votes, you know, we're yeah. still doing this. It's well, not over. It's far from no, over. Because, you know, here's something that caught my eye. And I'm going to ask you this question because this happened in two states where you literally have what we call vote bill, and where you, you know, like you wake up and there's like 130 votes, 130,000 votes in Michigan, all of them Biden. Uh, you go in Wisconsin, they had like something like 100 plus thousand votes, all mm-hmm. Biden. And that's why I think it's kind of, to me, it's, you know, the question comes in play is I do hope that we go to court because to protect no, why, 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 why? You I, wouldn't do what? this if this if this, if this was the opposite. If, if if you know you wouldn't you you wouldn't do this. There's no yeah. reason for going to court. You know what? There's none because it's Trump. Trump is a sore loser. He's losing. No, you know we have 270 well, votes versus 244, and he's a loser. He's a man-child no, loser, no. and he lost. And I, I'm sorry, but no, that's no, the no. way it is. No. Well, no, yes, yes, yes. No, 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 no. Here's the problem you run into. This is the legal issue. 
This is why the courts, two, there, are three, there are three reasons why I would say the courts need to get involved. First, you literally had states that changed the rules of the game, where they basically went up against their own state law and made changes, like in the case of the nine days. The longer you have these days out, the, long, the more likely fraud occurs. To sit back and say it doesn't happen. And, and number two, so we need to basically have the courts say you can't do this and do this in the future. Number two, have it look at it. And in the end, you go through the balance, you give a check, you, you know, people will be satisfied that, A, okay, the winner who won did win. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, because the thing is there were a lot of strange things that happened in that in the election. And I can say, I'm going to just ask you this one question. And I want you to listen to this question carefully. Yeah. And I'll say, if you found out there was 130,000 votes, suddenly yes, come out of believe nowhere. it or not, Wisconsin, Wisconsin is Democratic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry uh, that people no, don't no, like we, Trump. He, he screwed himself. No, Tom, he screwed himself. No, no, and no, no, I'm, not, I'm not buying his conspiracy yeah. bullshit that like okay, you know, or, the ele- if anybody is election suppression it's it's the republicans who have hired people with guns to show up at the polls those are who is, is if anybody's talking about suppression it's the republicans no absolutely not and i'm going to tell you i'm going to explain to you why first one and one if you had 130,000 votes all of them Biden or all of them trump show up i got news for you that doesn't happen there's something fishy let me put this way. I had a, an associate of mine who, like myself, has got 25 years of experience. And he basically said, you know, I said to him, when have you said seen something like that? And he said, Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Well, hold on to that thought. This is Tom Donson, Coco Konsky here. We'll be right back here on the Donaldson Files and the Bastion News Radio Network. This is Dr. Larry Fidoa, host of The Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, inviting you to listen live every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. I am called the philosopher of current events, an independent, open-minded conservative with my own ideas. If you are interested in advertising or having your own show, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. Don't forget Dr. Larry's show. We'll follow our show on the Block Talk Radio tonight. And and also Locker Talk with Barry Bonds. Barry's where you can hear about the NFL stars of tomorrow, today. Listen to Barry every Friday at 9 a.m., Eastern Standard Time, blocktalkradio.com slash LA-Bachelor, and the podcast every day from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, a back-to-back episode at thebachelornews.airtime.com. If you're interested in having your own show or advertising, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. Okay. I, I'm leave you, I just want you to answer this question because this happens. You know, you know, we're talking truck, a truckload of votes. Truckload of votes, one hundred thirty thousand. All of them 
for one candidate. I mean, Tom, I'm just going to wish you luck because we're still counting, yeah. and that's all I'm going to say because I'm not going to buy into this little conspiracy that, that Biden cheated. Like, I'm just not. It's a waste of my time. Well, I'm going to say it's happened before. There's nothing new, and it's happening. You know, I'm simply saying it's something that needs to be dealt with, just the same way the way the mail-in ballots. Uh, we need to be changing that system. You know, if you, I'm sorry. I mean, this is a uh, I mean, when you got such, I mean, because of the number, I mean, you know, like something, I, I came through a data here. I think, see if I can find it, you know, later because it's, it was kind of interesting. Uh, but talking about the number of, you know, people who basically lost, kind of lost their vote. And, uh, and I think, quite frankly, that, you know, we need, to, you know, we need to have, you know, a change in that particular fashion. It's not. I mean, we're, what we're talking about is, you know, let me. Ah, let me. I'm gonna get this data here because, uh, you know, like I say, I mean, these are not conspiratorial theories because you're looking at a guy who's done two research projects on voter fraud and found it, it's a lot more prevalent than what people claim it is. Uh, and to sit back and say, now again, here's the question I throw back. Can, can, can I say time, something real quick though? Sure. Yeah, you, uh, you know, there are no grounds. And if the Republicans only move is to try and stop people's vote from being counted, you know, it's not really a good look for them. And if that's the case, are you guys like anti-democracy party now? If you're for law and order, you know, election, you know, yeah. it's a part of that. It's to count well, the vote all, number, yeah. and no, not to stop the thought... votes from being counted. That's all no, I'm first saying. All, number one. That's all I'm saying. Okay, first. Okay, here's your problem. Right now, this is what the Supreme Court is going to look at. This is not a case of denying people to vote. It's a case where the state sets limits to where the votes, when they have to come in, when they have to be postmarked. And you've got states, attorney generals or judges saying, you can go ahead and expand the rule. You can go ahead and add nine days. You can go ahead and add five days. In other words, they're overriding state laws. That cannot stand. If you want to have a nine-day do, put it in law, okay? In, in Pennsylvania, that's exactly what happened. They basically have decided, you know, we, we want nine extra days. The state legislator said, no, this is the rules. Here's when the vote is. And basically the idea of saying, here are the rules, understand the rules, and follow those rules, and not have a judge overturn lawful rules. You know, that is a denial of rights. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that is exactly what you're talking about. I mean, this is not about denying people votes. This is about, A, making sure you have a state law dealing with the votes that's not overturned or basically have the rules change because the rules – there are states in which the rules did change. You know, I mean, if you're sitting there looking at the rule, this is the equivalent of a football game suddenly saying, we're going to add 20 more yards for you to score. Uh that is exactly what they are talking about. Okay, here's the thing. This is the point I like to talk about, okay? All right. In 2018, Oregon is listed as the state. At the state that everybody says does it right. Okay, 2018, 2.8 million ballots. Now, they do have mail-in ballots. 2.8 million ballots. Roughly 62,000 or yeah, sixty thousand undeliverable, eight hundred seventy thousand listed in what they call 
unknown category. In other words, 32% of these votes pretty much got discarded. And that's the problem with mail-in ballots. That's part of the problem. I mean, you talk about voting. Well, the best way to vote is to vote in person or do the absentee ballot, ask for an absentee ballot. But when you've got mail-in voters, and here, this is Oregon. This is the this is what everybody says is the example of how it works. And that's the reason why, to me, I think you need to reform that for the simple reason. People will be denied their right to vote because it's much, you know, first of all, it's easier for fraud. And number two, uh, and number two, it's also easier to discard. That means a lot of votes don't get counted. You know, what do you want to do? I mean, let me have it this way. Do you think we ought to follow state laws and not change the rules? Have a, a judge, a renegade judge, say, "Well, today we're going to allow you to go t- ten extra days." Uh, and do you think, uh, you know, what's the best way to get people to make sure that they actually get their vote counted? And I'm just giving you two examples. I'm just giving you an example where a lot of people don't even get their vote counted. All right, go ahead. No, I mean I'm not I'm not there's there's nothing to go ahead with. Like, um I think he's winning and I, I think, you know, we've no. accepted when Donald Trump won, we accepted it. So I think it should no, be you, the same way. Well here's the thing, you didn't. I mean you did, but not a lot like here's the thing. You well, yeah, you gotta remember this guy you know, Biden Biden yeah. is gonna win and, and that's Yeah, he's that. probably gonna win, yeah. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, and the uh the Republicans will have the Senate. And they've made some inroads into the house, so it's so basically we will have divided government, which in this case would not be a bad thing. It keeps the uh, crazy people on your side from basically doing stupid things, and maybe you'll get some sanity. Uh, but uh, but here's the deal. Okay, all right, you were right. Okay, right down the Senate. Here's the interesting thing, because by the way. Uh, the election's not over, because you, know, you stay county. But guess what else? We're going to have a special election sometime in December in Georgia. So it's seems to never end, which I guess is good for me because I'm already uh, calling people up and say, "You want to go to Georgia?" <laughs> but yeah. So that should be an interesting. That should be an interesting race, and who knows? Like I say, we'll find out if there may be two runoffs. But right now, the Republicans got the Senate, and uh, and so, all right. What thought? What other thought? Let me ask you a question on the Senate race. What Senate race intrigued you? What got you? Uh, I'm sorry. What? Hello. Yeah, what yes. was there a Senate race that you, you know, was there a Senate race that you could sit back and say, yeah, I, I really followed that race. It was really, you know, it was surprising. Mark or, Kelly McSally. Okay. Following that, yeah. for sure. Uh-huh. Um, I actually donated money to Kelly. Um, I like him a lot. Um, who else? Oh boy! Obviously yeah. McConnell, he won, right? 
Yeah, he won. Uh, Lindsey Graham won. Uh, both of them won easily, and they were both targeted, as I stated. What, was it easily, uh, yeah. though? I mean, well, wasn't it close? Okay, in the case of uh, Mississippi, you mean? Let me look that up. Let's yeah. go look that up real real quick here. And go ahead. Let me see here. The, i got to get the election results. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please be patient as I sit here and go through all of this because we want to make sure you get the right information. All right. Okay. Okay, Mississippi. Uh, wrong, uh, okay. Uh, okay. SB lost by about 14 points. Uh, okay. Uh, Tillis is still going on. Graham won by 11. Uh, uh, McConnell won by about 18. Uh, okay, John Corner won by 10. Uh, Sue Collin run. Sue Collin won by nine. Uh, so they're still counting the votes in the uh, with John James. Uh, He's like 20,000 votes behind. We'll see what happens there. I would love to see that guy provide. Uh, Kelly won at this point rather easily 100,000 votes. Wow, uh, yeah. Uh, Purdue is at 5.4%. And you have to remember in Georgia, you have to win by 50% or you go to a runoff. Mm-hmm. So that might be a runoff. We may have two runoffs there. All right. Now, well, the race, you know, again, interested me also as well uh, was uh, Joni Ernst in Iowa, namely because I lived there. It was a very tight race, and uh, and they basically the Democrats put a lot of effort into this with a yeah seven point victory. So, uh, and that was again, it was an interesting. It was on those races where. Uh, well, actually, the pollsters got it right. That was one state where the Des Moines Register pollster pretty much nailed you know, that particular race correct. So it's going to be – yeah, so that that was a race. I was interested because basically it tells me Iowa may become – is now officially a red state. I mean, we're talking two elections in a row. And we're not talking small margin. We're talking Trump won by seven or eight points. Uh, and uh, and Ernst, uh, Ernst won by seven points. So that is you know, so basically we've gone from a purple state to a red state. Here's the other surprise. And it's, you know, here's the other surprise. Because, you know, one of the things I will say here is, you know, is you know just like you know, you know Democrats need to flip, you had to flip states. You know, we we have to have states in the future to flip. And Illinois is one of those very blue states. What intrigued me was Joe Biden got fifty four percent. Now you have to understand, in Illinois, normally Democrats go into high fifties, low sixties. It's usually not that. And Dick Durbin got only 53% of the vote. And the meaning of that to me was this is an interesting state because Illinois is a state of two parts, Chicago 
and the rest of the state. Cook County, the rest of the state. And the questions I've always and the question I've always had is how do you reverse a blue state like Illinois? Uh, when let's say you're going to win 90% of the county, but you got one county that basically went that basically is the as they say the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Uh, and so that's going to be to me intriguing in 2022 because quite honestly, this was a race where close, it's tight, and and what I want you to kind of think about Coco when we come back from this break is, you know. In a 50-50 country, where do we go from here? So this is Tom Donaldson, Coco Koska here on the Bachelor News Radio Network on on the Donaldson File. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. That's right. Get your flu shots, ladies and gentlemen. Please. Get your flu shots. Yes. So, I mean, I... You know, I, no, no, we keep talking about that, but the bottom line is you need to get those flu shots in. And so, yeah. All right. Uh, your thoughts. Okay, let me ask you a question. Here's your – let me give you your thought. Let me, let me get the thought here. First of all, number one, we're a 50-50 nation, essentially. I mean, this was the closest race as you're going to get. We're still counting the ballots the next day. Uh, the Senate is barely Republican. Republicans is going to make them some inroads within the House. And so you basically have both sides, you know, getting something out of this election. So the question I would throw back is, okay. I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. That's, that's okay. really my only thought right now. Hopeful. Well, let me, really now, let me throw this out. Yeah, let me throw this out because here's the, the other interesting thing is this. We both have friends on the opposite side. Uh, on the opposite side. So, and I mean, let's, and Pesa, we wouldn't be able to do the show <laughs> if we weren't friends. And okay, Don right. Lemon made a Don Lemon to me made an interesting and, in my view, a disgusting point. It said more about him than it said about I, I don't where he basically. Lemon, so. Yeah. Well, here's what he said. He bragged about this that all of his friends who voted for Trump. He just, you know, he, they're no longer his friends. He will not talk to them. He bragged about this on the air. I see TV. it. Well, you know what? I There's certain people I don't talk to because yeah. of that. Yeah, I could see it. Um, mostly because it's like. The way you and I talk, you know, we disagree, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't get nasty, whatever, you know. But yeah. I, there are people that I definitely have cut off for voting for Trump. It's not just them voting for Trump. It's their attitude towards yeah. other minorities, towards, you know, other ethnicities, whether they're gay, straight, whatever, you know. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not like, 
into that anymore. You know, it's not good for my mental health. So I'm not going to be, I'm not going to surround myself with people like that. Well, I I guess the question I'll throw back to you, it'll be to me, you know, if you have somebody who's basically hateful and uh, obnoxious, that's a totally different story. You know, but that's a personality story. You know, that's, you know, that's the kind of person you probably would end up, you know, ending up throwing out the, you know, out of your friendship because they would be obnoxious about something else. It's, you know, sometimes, you know, the politics side of the equation, true self in that regard. But my problem with Don Lennon's statement was it wasn't that he said, you know, I, you know, I got some of these friends who get, you know, they step over the line, so I cut them off, like you just stated. Uh, this is more like the fact that they voted for Trump was his reason for getting rid of them. That's what he, that's what he meant. And he said all of his friends. I mean, he didn't just say, yeah, it's not just, you know, I have a few arguments. Or I'm not going to get into that type of deal like he just stated. But he just basically came out and said, eh. you know, I just got rid of them all. And he bragged about it. I mean, it was like a bragdosis. Well, it wasn't yeah, like I, that. I, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that, though. You know, yeah, I, I don't talk yeah. to certain people because they voted for yeah. Trump. And, like, I don't because, like, I know who they are. You know, maybe his friends were shitty. I don't know. You know. Well, I guess my problem would be is this. I mean, you know, every you know that's uh, I don't know. It's this is part of me that says you're basically saying every Republican you ever come across or anybody have, you know, or you know, or or bad. And I'm just saying to myself, that can't be the case. You know, like I said, I got a lot of friends of mine who, you know, who are hardcore lefties, but we get along very nicely. Uh, Kyle Hester, who by the way was, oh, by the way, Kyle was in Louisiana. He was going to try to make it on the show tonight. And couldn't do it because he's in the process of doing some moving with his film career in, uh, in Louisiana. Yeah. No, the point, you know, I, I guess my point would be is this. I've always had a view to me is that if you cut a friend off because they voted for somebody that you didn't like, that says more about you as a person than it says about them. Now, if you have a situation where that person is obnoxious, crosses lines, which, you know, you know, I mean, let's say you and I have had those Twitter people who, quite frankly, have crossed lines. I mean, they go from being, dis, you know, disagreeing to being just totally disrespectful. That's a totally different game. But I can tell you right now, like on Twitter, I can tell you right now on Twitter, I've been blocked by people strictly because they didn't, they disagreed with what I said. That's it. And I would never, because I'm not a mean guy on Twitter. I'm not a mean guy on Twitter. I don't tend to be obnoxious to people. I tend to disagree yeah, with them. Yeah, but okay, be- but here's the thing. Like, uh, it's funny because like a lot of the people that come after me, a lot of them are followers of yours. Like a lot of the people who are kind of nasty to me or whatever. Like, and that's why I block them. I go, I'll look at their profile and I notice that like they follow you. And I was just like, so yeah, I blocked them. I'm like, I don't care. Like, if they're gonna be a dick to me, like, yeah, I'm gonna block them. Like, I I don't have time for yeah. that. I don't yeah, have time I to deal I mean, yeah. with assholes. Well, well, like I said, I got like 1,500 plus followers, so it's like I don't yeah. know. You know, you know, they're very, you know, like I say, they're very few. You know that I really truly follow and communicate with. Uh, you know, 95% of these people, I wouldn't even know who they are, what they are. Uh, right. Much in the same way, I imagine that you would probably have, uh, you know, 
you will probably have followers that you don't know who could be obnoxious. I, don't, I mean, it's, it is what it is because I don't know how many followers you have now, but I mean, it's, I'm not saying responsibility for every jerk that follows. Oh, no, and you. I don't either. Like, I don't either. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, the bottom line, I mean, we both have a lot of followers, and it's like, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't take, you know, and again, you know, like I say, my my view is very simple. I'm, I'm, I, I try to be a very nice guy. I don't try to be obnoxious. I rarely, you know, there's been a couple of times when I kind of stuck it to somebody, mainly because they got obnoxious with me, but I've never blocked them. Yeah, that's the other thing. I've never blocked these people. Well, uh, I'll tell you something. Like, when I first joined Twitter, I never really blocked people, but now I'm to the point where it's just like, okay, do you want to see how many people I have blocked, Tom? Is that probably. is that something you guys sit in? Okay, how many have you blocked? I have, I have two hundred seventy-eight people blocked. Sure, that you know, and I don't really, I guess I never really kind of looked into that. But uh, well, I'm gonna say, I mean, I guess I mean here's the thing, because here's the problem that comes into play. You're an, we're an evenly divided country, and we're not, and we're mm-hmm. also talking about people with widely, you know, held beliefs that in some cases are not compatible when it comes to legislation. But it's the old saying, you still live in the same country in the same area, <laughs> and, you, and you occupy that same space. And eventually you have to go through that part and say, you know, you know eventually you're going to have to say, uh, yeah, let's get along. You know, I, I'm going to disagree with you. We'll fight, in the, we'll fight in the political arena, and then we'll have a, couple, you know, we'll have a beer afterwards. But eventually that attitude's got to come in. But it also means that, you know, my view is very simple. If you're obnoxious, I mean, let's say, be, to me, crossing, there are, two, there are two lines I would never tolerate on Twitter is any attempt to dox people. That, to me, is a no-no. I don't care who you are, what you are, or it's in the other oh, aspect. I have, no problem you, doxing, I have no problem doxing a white supremacist, someone who's a racist, Actually, who threatens other people. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Yeah. I've well, done I'm that myself. A lot of, yeah. Well, you say I, I'm not a doxer, and, and, and I'm not going to make the judgment who dox who, get, who I get the dox who doesn't get the dox because I'll be very honest with you. It could be, it's a. Let me put it this way: I've seen people get doxed who were not white supremacists. Their crime was they disagreed with somebody, and they got doxed. And and when you get to that point, you're putting people's lives at risk, in my view. If I know where you are, where you live. You know, these people end up getting the phone calls. These people get the people who drive around their house. Uh, they, they, they're the people who the, somebody boss calls the boss. Yeah, it's a dangerous thing that can be. The other aspect is obscenity. If you can't make an argument, eh, you know, I can remember we used to, I used to write for a blog uh, years ago for you know, Frank D. Martini, you know, you know, used to run. And uh, we had this one guy. And the guy was, I mean, let me say, every other word was the F word. He couldn't make an argument, and he would always be nasty. And for a while, you know, for four or five months, we put up with this, you know, only because, you know, Frank said, hey, Tom, every time this guy gets on, he brings a bunch of his followers and our numbers go up, tolerating this guy for being a jerk <laughs> so we can get a higher rate. He says, yes. But it, it got to a point where, 
he started attacking other people, you know, people, let's say other readers. You know, it's one thing to attack me. It was another thing when you, he was sitting attacking other readers. And that's why I said the point. You know what? I mean, we had one day, we had, an, an, I mean, literally, we had the F word, F bombs everywhere. I mean, it was like every everybody just, just started doing the F bombs with each other. And this guy started this all up. And finally, I just said, you know what? I told uh, Frank, I said, look, yeah, the guy can say, you know, F things to me. That's fine. But we, do we really want to have a page where every other word is the F word as part of our discussion? Yeah, what does right. that say and about you know, what we're – Thing, though it's like I never read comment sections because yeah. that is like the most like horrific thing you can do to yourself is just to look on if you like I like to read the hill I read it every day I will yeah. not look at the comment section because there are some crazy ass people on there um, I, I just don't do it I just don't look yeah yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I mean, it, it, I mean, there's a point here because here's the thing. I mean, you know, the election's over. This, you know, we could, you know, the votes will continue. We'll deal with what we deal with later. But at this point, uh, there is a point here where, sure, whatever word you want to use, is got to cease, where because it's no longer being, re, I mean, no longer being reserved for the most, the racist or the biggest. It's being used on people who have who have none of those qualities, who are now being part of the cancel culture. It's like if you've done something in the past, uh, you know, do you get punished for it twenty years later or ten years later? Uh, but that's part of it because that's part of you know just a learning to get along with people and accept and disagreeing with them. Uh, so, your your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, like, well, here's the thing. Like, I get so much, like, from, like, like I, I, I say this even when I was, like, leaning towards, like, conservative, libertarian, whatever. Like, most of the hate I would get was from, like, the right. It wasn't even, like, like, I was getting hate from my own party. And the only people that actually never really gave me any vile you know, saying vile things to me were really kind of like people on the left. And that's why I kind of identified with more on the left side as I kind of evolved as as I kind of grew up. And I'm not saying I'm a huge left wing liberal. Like I'm not saying that at all. Um, What I'm saying is that for me, the people that do attack me more were people on the right. Like, I got some really vile, horrible things said to me, like, like especially, like, people from the alt-right, people from QAnon, like, telling me, like, you know, I'm a Jew and that, like, you know, I belong in the oven and, like, all this, like, you know, and, like, it, it just got to the point where I was getting, I was having it told to me so much that um, it, it was like, you know, it, it doesn't affect me anymore. Well, I thought this is Tom Donson, Coco Konski here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. 
And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Welcome back to the Bas- uh, the Dawn's of Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Don't forget to listen to this show. Uh, every day you've got 3 a.m., 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Bachelor News Air, com or dot pro, pardon me, dot pro, or midnight cocoa time to 7 a.m. Call in tonight at 646 929 0130. 646 929 0130. All right, okay. Yeah, all right. yeah all right. let's kind of get out of this topic a little bit here. And, uh, and so I, I guess my conclusion is, folks, you know what? Just get along with people. If you don't, just, you have two choices. If you're on Twitter, for example, you don't like what somebody's saying, you got two choices. Hey, ignore them, ignore what they say, disagree with them nicely, and then move on, or just simply don't follow them. It's not all that difficult to do. Uh, I mean, I can't give you any more better advice than that because I got a lot of people that I you know who I follow, I disagree with. And I just basically read it mainly because I like to see what the other side's saying, and and I leave it at that. I don't get into a urinating contest with people. It's very difficult when you have 280 new characters to begin with. But uh, uh, and like I said, there are certain people I do follow only because you know I enjoy what they do. They usually have good information. And they're usually a nice and polite. Uh, there's a gal, uh, Legally Bay, who I follow, very nice lady out of New York, uh, always kind of occasionally funny. Uh, Steffi Gal was a, is, you know, actually I started following her originally because she would have these arcs. I don't know if you ever follow, I mean, she has arcs. You know, she had all these great arts and explains all of this. And then she started getting mm-hmm. more and more political as the political season goes. And she's really a nice lady because she's, you know, and the thing is, she's very nice. She's very polite. You know, never, uh, you know, never, you know, never gets on the bad side of anybody. And those are the people I tend to follow. Uh, those are the people I tend to, you know, that I read consistently. You know, you because know, I look for people who can think outside the box, who's going to give me things I haven't thought about before. And uh, from there, it's in a wide variety of subjects. So. Yeah, that's my advice on Twitter is simply, yeah, if you don't like somebody, ignore them. That's all there is to it. Ignore them. You don't want to get nasty with them. Just move on. I mean, if you can't do that, then maybe you shouldn't be on Twitter anyway. Yeah. Do you have any additional advice for people on Twitter? I do not. Um, you know, it's Twitter. It's not. It's not, like, yeah. that important. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's again. It's like I say. It's that. Yeah. All right. Now the other thing that I'm trying to figure out here, because uh, it really kind of intrigued me. This intrigued me. 
because I did some number crunching today. Kind of an interesting aspect because when I was looking at some of the exit polls, and like I say, we're doing some more research on this. What interested me the most was this. You know, Trump lost case among white voters. He basically was not able to expand. And you got to remember, in 2016, you had, you had a serious libertarian candidate in Gary Johnson. He got 3 or right. 4% of the vote. And so basically, he got 57% of the white vote four years ago when you had a more serious candidate. On the other side of the equation, he had a, I mean, a 700,000 more black voters voted for Trump than voted in 2016. Nearly a million more Hispanics voted for Trump than did in 2016. If somebody would have come to me and say to me, you know, Trump's going to get 1.7 million additional voters from black and Hispanics, I would say, you know what? I feel comfortable winning this race. I feel comfortable about winning this race. And I, and it's kind of like, in a way, you know, you look at who's, where these votes are coming in from, is that, you know, I mean, here's the other thing. Republicans got outspent two to one across the board. I mean, uh, for example, Lizzie and Graham got outspent two to one. McConnell got outspent two to one. I can tell you, Tony Ernst got outspent two to one. Uh, you know, pick a race. And at least we kind of, you know, and then what I'm going to leave with this, with this audience here is that all the wealth, I mean, it's no longer a case of the Republicans being the party of the wealthy, you know, moving over to the Democratic side. No, I think it's both. Uh, it's <laughs> always going to be both. You're always going to have wealthy people on both sides. It's not either or. Well, I'm going to say, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I'm, 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 here's the point I'm going to make here is that think of it this way. If somebody would have told me, we're going to get outspent two to one, and that wealthy donors are going to basically, that the majority of donors, wealthy donors are going to give to Democrats, that would have been, that would not have been said in 2012, 2008. It's being said now. It's, be, it's being done now. So there is a shift within the dynamics of the party, of both political parties and where they're going. And it, you know, it goes in the future because, like I say, the Trump era, the Trump is gone. But much of what he left, as far as influence, the populist side of the equation, is still there. And the question with Republicans, as I stated in my classic book, Rise of National Populism and Democratic Socialism, uh, is that we're going to become the party of the middle class, and much more so than we have been in the past. And, and it's going to be interesting to me to see in the case of the Democratic side of the equation, you know, how do these new wealthy individuals deal with the socialist wing of the party, which is Alexander Cortez and others? I mean, this, let's put it this way. 
both parties have got serious issues they're going to deal with in the next four years. And the identification of which way the party takes over. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, like I said, I've stated in my book, populism and conservatism can be synergistic depending on the circumstances. Much, and, you know, and, the, and the, the question I always have with the Democratic Party, how far socialist are you going to go? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. So I guess my question is, you know, how, how much power are the Bernie bros and the Cortez girls uh, going to, you know, you know, put on the Democratic Party? And what's your thought? I mean, right now, all I want to do is get through this election right now, yeah. get through the counting of the ballots. That's my number one. And then I can think about what's going to happen next. For me, I'm taking it one step at a time. Yeah. That's literally well, my I, plan. Yeah. I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm not going to overthink. Yeah. I'm not going to overstep. I'm just doing it one step at a time. Yeah. Well, actually, believe it or not, uh, I, I, do, I do the complete opposite. Uh, I always, like over the years, I mean, you know, people say, well, I'm in the political business. You know, the people, and people, here's a lot of things I go, if I go into a campaign, I start after the previous campaign. We sit down and we look at, okay, What's going to be – because we usually will do polling data post-election, figure out, okay, you know, what did people want, what they uh, need, you know, what were they telling us, and where do you go from there? And we always had – and I always did in the course of a campaign, war games, where I would literally, you know, literally say, hmm, what, what's the, there's a race over here that seems to be interesting that we have a shot at, uh, look at. And, and sometimes in the course of, a, in the, uh, in the course of that – uh, in the course of that, like I said, I'm like I play a game of chess. I'm playing a game of chess with my opponents, who themselves have played games of chess. Take it two steps, and so in other words, I, I mean, literally speaking, right, writing up, saying, okay, here's where we got to go next. And this, you know, today I basically told my pollster go go poll Georgia and see what we got, and let's see what what we can do. I mean, that's my life. Of course, I make money doing it, but that's my life. And I understand that you're like most people. Let's just get through this and we'll buy it later. Your thoughts? Yeah. No, yeah, that's absolutely uh, my, my thought. I'm through this right now. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I say because like I say, I mean, I'm a, I'm a totally different person along those lines. I do the complete opposite of everybody else does. They're all sick, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what's yeah, what's the next uh, next big adventure we have? So, absolutely, next big adventures we have. So, uh, all right, uh, let me ask you a quick question, dear. Are there any books that that you caught on read recently? That you've had time to read, maybe I'll put it oh, that way. Oh boy, yes. Um, so I started reading this this good book. Actually, I mean, I don't know if this is something you're into, 
but I'm very much into serial killers and knowing about their uh, their life and all that. So um, one of the books I started reading is called H.H. H. Holmes, The True History of the White City Devil. That's one of the books that um, I have been reading right now. <laughs> I've also been reading um, another book. Uh, pretty much about H.H. Um, H. Holmes, uh, The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. I'm very much into, like I said, yeah. these books on kind of just Very like similar. and if you don't know about H.H. H. Holmes, he was America's first serial killer. Oh. Yeah, I, I tell you, I wasn't aware. Go ahead and uh, talk more about it. Um, well, H.H. H. Holmes was uh, during the World's Fair, the 18 or 1902 World's Fair Chicago and uh, he was a failed doctor and he was a serial killer he had this hotel he would run this hotel and he would build like these secret rooms with and during the, in this hotel and that's where he would kill his victims um, and he's very interesting it was very interesting he uh, eventually caught him and um, you know he basically suffered the same fate um, he died in prison I have this this love of not love that sounds weird um but i have like this interest on old serial killers um (laughs) i love to watch their documentaries i love to read their books um one of the really weird serial killers that actually freaks me out um i watched a documentary a couple weeks ago and i literally couldn't sleep for days um and that documentary was on albert fish who was a very deranged, horrific serial killer who was also a cannibal. So, mm. um, th- and this was back in the early 1900s as well. So, um, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Oh, was he like the? <laughs> oh, you say yeah. Is he like the inspiration for Hannibal Lecter? Um, was he? I don't know. He might have been. Uh, no, I, he was the inspiration for Norman Bates, I believe. Oh. Okay. I well, believe. Here's the, here's some of the, don't, yeah. don't quote uh, here's me. Some, yeah. yeah. Uh, basically, uh, the, the last book I just, I'm finishing up now is a book by David Goldman. Uh, he writes a series of columns, and he's uh, it, it, it's a very interesting book on China because he's basically – he talks about the Chinese – you know, his experience with the Chinese and what they truly want. And it's a, you know, again, it's a fascinating book. I just got finished also reading Catastrophe, 1914, Europe Goes to War. And it's about the first year of World War One, where all of the mistakes that got made, you know, what the, you know, the, the, you know, what the guy kind of is to how it got started. Uh, he has his own theories about, you know, you know how they pushed. You know how he got pushed, and uh, and this guy says it's a fascinating history. And my next book is going to be America's New Destiny in Space by Glenn Reynolds. Uh, you know Reynolds has basically been very. You know he's been a very promoter of the space. You know a redoing the space program, and uh, I'd be interested in reading this book because he's 
you know, he's, you know, he's basically on that cutting edge on that particular area when it comes to conversation about it. So that, you know, are some of the books I am reading. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, yeah, so, yeah, that sounds interesting. I mean, like I say, the, so you got serial killers and I'm, I've got nonfiction. <laughs> well, I'm currently I'm uh, currently I'm binge watching the show Family Matters. It it was my favorite show from the 90s. It's on Hulu, all nine seasons. So that is what I've been doing. Ah. Okay. Well, okay. Well, we got like say uh, next week. I don't know what kind of show we're going to have. Uh, what we're going to be doing. So we will be. Uh, you know. Uh, so we don't know exactly, but we do, like I say, who knows uh, what we're going to end up doing next week. This is what I like to say. We had a nice discussion today. Uh, looks like uh, uh, it looks like you're going to be happier tomorrow than I will be. Yep. And uh, <laughs> so, yes. And uh Real quick here, uh, Dr. Larry, what's going on? Not much. We're uh, okay. well, 24 hours later, and we still don't know much. Yeah. Well, we like know we a little could... bit more. Yeah. Well, uh, it looks, looks like, like we're... We... Go ahead. Go ahead. So it looks, yeah, what do you say? You and I will talk about this in about two minutes. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, Very it's quick just... question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. A quick question here for you is that uh, yeah, I tell you what, I'll ask this question you know over the next uh, next hour because it looks like uh, we're getting to that point. Uh, uh, well, I just uh, like to, to tell say, Coco. I just like to tell Coco that I was in no way a uh, substitute for her. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. This is Tom Donaldson. Uh, saying good night here on the Donaldson Files and the Bastard News Radio Network. Trumpet, you know it's the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I'm Dr. Larry Fidewa, and I'm your host for uh, this hour. Uh, we're uh, not going to have much of a opening statement tonight. I specifically waited to write this uh, post or to write the uh, post that I'm talking from now until the election was over. As we now know, and many predicted, including myself, this uh, one may not be over for, the, for this week or maybe even longer. For the sanity of the voting public, we need a better system. This is no way to run a railroad. 
As it is, there is at least one uncontested result of this election. The pollsters, with some exceptions, got it wrong again. After all the assurances that their mistakes of 2016 had been identified and corrected, we find that that was not the case. It seems obvious that in both campaigns they missed millions of voters, mostly on the Trump side. There have been allegations of purposeful manipulations of survey data to make the uh, Biden campaign look stronger than it was, but whether intentional or not, the errors are too blatant to merit any confidence in their, quote, data. Here is an industry which must reform itself or will not survive. What else has the election day taught us? In some ways, the campaign was a story of the tortoise and the hare. Although the hare may have actually won this race, certainly this race was like nothing else in my lifetime. That applies to both candidates. Biden campaigned less than any uh, candidate in my memory, while Trump's choice of campaign activity, the political rally almost exclusively, was unlike anything I can remember. Then the way that he used it toward the end of the campaign was quite astonishing. Another distinguishing characteristic was the major premise of the Dems' strategy to run their entire appeal as a protest against the uh, the president. More than anything else, theirs was a dump Trump message. It allowed them to transcend a confusing message on so many other policy issues, often because different spokespersons were presenting different answers. In the end, none of this seems to have mattered. It seems there's not a lot more to say about this election at this stage. We don't know a lot more about the people's choices on a score of simmering issues, nor do we know what kind of future awaits us. This is one day I'm glad I am not required to buy and sell stocks for a future. So tonight we're uh, going to uh, uh, we're going to talk about the the uh, whole situation, and I've got two of my good uh, friends, uh, Tom Donaldson and George Landreth, to uh, to uh, help me going, and we've got some possibilities of some uh, mystery uh, guests that uh, might 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 phone in. So. Uh, Tom and George, uh, welcome to uh, the Dr. Larry Show. And uh, Tom, uh, you're the you're the uh, the co-host tonight because uh, frankly, I don't have a whole lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, here's an interesting thing. Uh, you know, I, I brought this up on the show, and uh, we're looking at a totally different. What I would say, coalition that's being formed by both sides, and the one thing that that struck me there. Here's the one thing: the the first thing that struck me is having been on the ground and having to basically work these elections. And I had to, you know. And by the way, uh, you know, for example, I was definitely involved in the Joni Ernst in the Iowa races, and I was certainly involved in Michigan, where I know. I'm being told I'm a cons- 
conspiracy theorist, but where John James is getting the election stolen from him. <laughs> but here's the thing. One point six million black and Hispanics voted for Donald Trump over 2016. 1.6 million more. If you would have told me... One, How many is that all together? Well, basically, it was, all nearly about, it was nearly a million Hispanics and about 700,000 blacks. Uh, and then if you, add, if you add 2016, what do you get? Yeah, well... Like I say, it's 1.7 million over 2016. Yeah, that's what I meant. Now, this, I know. You know what I'm saying is, <laughs> this was an increase of 1.7 million. Right. He had, he increased the vote total 1.7 million, and well, he that's, basically that's progress. Hit, yeah, and 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 the thing that came in play. I mean, this was a thing because we you look at the base of the Republican Party today. It is the party of the middle class. It's the party of Bain Street. Uh, so, how long do you think that'll last? Well, you know, I'm going to put it this capacity: if you, if the Republican Party is smart, and that's a big F, <laughs> they would, they would sit back and look at it and say, "This is where we're at," and we do have the young Republicans who understand this. They're Trumpian without Trump. Tom Cotton is a, one of those men. Uh, Josh Hollings out of Missouri. Uh, I like Christy Nobes, another one. I think Ron DeSantinis is another one, the governor of Florida. Uh, you've got a, and even Marco Rubio. Even though Rubio can be kind of squishy at times, but his proposals are, have moved into the Trumpian direction. And you got a, you know, so you've got this young, a younger – I mean, here's the thing. The one thing Republicans have, Democrats don't have, is we got people on the bench ready for 2024, not counting – you know, including Mike Pence, who would still be under the age of 60. Uh, and so that's an advance. And so those individuals – and the question comes into play is this. If you get back to the old – what I call the Bushies take over the party, yeah, uh, we're going to go the – we're going to go backwards. But if you go back to if we go back to what Trump did, yeah. But if you go back, no, forget. I mean, but if we go back to 2016, you know, we go back and say, here's what Trump did, right? Because here's the thing. Let me let's take let's add one extra thing here. One extra thing. He's got policies, accomplishments. He basically had a, you know, I want to say. If you look at his tax plan, they were essentially Rubio's tax plan, you know. But the top rate at that, and he had the high. Uh, you got to remember, Rubio had the highest tax rates of all of the proposals in, out there in 2016, and he you know, and Trump added an extra two percent on top of that. So he's not necessarily the party of the wealthy per se, as much as the party of the middle class, because a good portion of those tax cuts that he did went to the middle class. You look at the number of people at the bottom who saw their incomes go up, and this was design policies, part of which included stopping illegal immigration. And the people at the bottom saw their incomes go up. You know, that 
you know, that too, uh, I would say, uh, is good news. And so the answer to your question would be is this. There's a leadership that understands it. There's young people ready to come forward. And the question is, if we turn the clock back, we won't make it. If we take advantage of what's presented to us, we'll become the party of the middle class. We'll be a Trumpian party, only won't be Trump at the top, but you'll have a whole new generation. And well, George, yeah. George, what do you think of that? Um, well, I oh, think before, it's, uh, before we uh, yeah. go that direction, why we need to take a break. This is the Dr. Okay. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Donaldson Pop presents talk radio like you've never heard it before on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We go live every Tuesday and Wednesday on this network, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to thebachelornews.airtime.pro. We are on the cutting edge, and we are ahead of the curve on what is happening while the media tries to catch up. We talk issues from right to left. Once a month, we have Ladies' Night, where we talk relationship in the 21st century, and nothing is off-limits or taboo. Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Welcome back to uh, the Dr. Larry Show, which is also the home of the uh, Bachelor News Radio Show with your host, uh, L.A. Bachelor. Uh, he discusses uh, issues of race, politics, policing, injustice, inequality, inequality, religion, and sports to that effect. Black, brown, and poor pe- that affect black, poor, uh, brown, and poor people negatively. Listen live to every uh, Monday and Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com slash L.A. Bachelor and the uh, rebroadcast every day at uh, 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern Time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Interested in having your own show or advertising? Email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. Listen and stay informed. And that's just what uh, George uh, Landreth is going to do right now, is inform us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that. We'll give it my best shot. But uh, I do think that as we look at the political parties, they, it needs to be about ideas and it needs to be about leadership. And uh, one of the things that um, I would give Donald Trump credit for, I understand that sometimes his tweets can, you know, make his job harder because he kind of steps on his own message and stuff. But the reality is his campaign uh, was about ideas and they were ideas that whose time had come. And, um, and he is, worked pretty well to accomplish those things. So I think that, you know, that's smart. Now, the the uphill battle he's had, as I see it, is largely a uh, very concerted effort by both the left and the media, but I repeat myself, um, to essentially discredit him at every move. You know? And so they've gotten to the point now where um, he can do something that's good and self-evidently good, but their take on it is that he had some bad motive for doing the good thing, you know, and so it's, and that's evident of someone who isn't really being fair. You can imagine that, uh, you know, if someone you dislike uh, 
helps you in a moment of need, if you still don't like them and you decide not to soften your perceptions of them, then you're sure they're just trying to manipulate you. And that's the way the left is. And uh, it's kind of the seething anger and hatred. And it's made them pretty stupid. Um, what I would argue is I used to th think that I, that I hated uh, Obama because I vehemently disagreed with his policies and the things he did. And I didn't really find his personality that likable because he struck me as kind of condescending a little bit, you know, like I'm smarter than everybody else. You know, I'm the smartest man in the room all the time. And I didn't think he was. So I just thought this is condescending and silly. But having said that, I realize now I've seen what real hatred looks like. Real hatred requires you to be incapable of seeing the truth because you're so consumed with hatred that anything that makes you feel better about your hatred is believed. And I remember many times friends sending me memes or, or stories about Barack Obama. I'd read them and go, this is stupid. It's not true. I'm not going with that. And a part of that's just because my view is the truth is good enough. I think the truth will demonstrate that he was a really failed president and that his, and that his administration was corrupt and how it abused power. But, uh, but I don't need to lie about him to make my case. And, uh, and, and yet when you're filled with hatred, lying about someone and maligning them unfairly is A-OK -okay because it makes you feel good. And hatred is a feeling. It's not a thought. It's a feeling. So I think we've seen a lot of that go on, and I, I hope that as a country, at some point we can get past that, because I don't think that's how it was. At least I don't recall it being like that when I was younger and looking at politics. And, uh, yeah, there were, you know, feelings ran. I remember, you know, as doing a debate in an elementary school where I was standing in for Richard Nixon. And... Uh, you know, but I don't recall it being quite like it is now. That my, my classmates didn't hate me because I, you know, stood in for Richard Nixon, whether or not they were voting for him or not. You know, it's just you know if they liked Hubert Humphrey better, that was fine. But so, but that's not where we are today. Today you can be essentially run out of town on rails, so to speak, simply by, as we've seen some people in Hollywood, just saying something marginally nice about the president, like, well, at least the economy's been good. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're persona non grata and you're a Nazi. So I, we got to get past that because that's just it's too much for me. It's 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 hatred driven politics. And I, I want it to be idea driven. And you just named a bunch of people, Marco Rubio and and, um, you know, Josh Hawley. And you, you, there's you know, and there's others. So I, I can't remember them all now. But the point is they're idea based. And um, and I I think that's good for our party because the left is really right now not idea based it's emotion driven hatred and um it may motivate voters but it doesn't help the country at all and it's a kind of a dead end path it may get you a few victories here and there but you won't go anywhere and you'll go down in history as a hateful ineffective horrible leader and i think that's where a lot of these uh current uh leaders on the left are headed well, it sounds to me like both of you guys have given up on Trump. You think that you think that he he is he's not going to win these uh, various uh, uh, runoffs. I, I mean, uh, what do you call it? The uh, recounts. Yeah, the yeah. And, I, uh, I I will tell you, I've not given up on him. Um, I still think he has a path to victory. I don't really care that they've called uh, Michigan or those kinds of things because. Um, there's enough crazy things going on. There is no plausible explanation for how you ha drop 120-some thousand ballots 
And every one of them, down to the last one, is for one candidate and one candidate only. That wouldn't be true if you had just members of his family. You know, I mean, when you have a group of 120,000 people, someone's going to vote for someone else. Someone's going to vote for the Green Party. Someone's going to vote for uh, a write-in. Maybe they write in, um, you know, Mr. Uh, um, Bernie Sanders. You know, the point is that is mathematically as likely as me winning the lottery every day for the next month, even though I don't buy lottery tickets. So, Tom, what do you think? This is more in your, uh, your, your area. Yeah. Well, like I say, I'm, like I say, I'm hopeful under Trump, but the paths are starting. Again, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting because, you know, I try to tell my co-host, I mean, you know, they say it's like the conspiracy side. Well, here's the deal. You know, right, let, me, let me put it this way, George. I have an associate who basically, you know, is a former Marine, and he's been a political operative for like two, two and a half decades. But he also spent time as a embedded reporter in the Middle East for five, six, few years. <laughs> and I asked him this question. I asked him, you know, have you ever seen anything like you saw in Wisconsin, Michigan, where you sent like 100,000, 130,000 votes, you know, show up all with one name? And he said two things. He said, Tom, that's a truckload of votes. And the, the only place I saw anything like that was Afghanistan. Hmm. Right. Yeah, and so... Right. I don't know if people understand how many uh, pieces of paper, 125,000 ballots is. I stand six, a little yeah. over 6'3", and if you st- stack those ballots, they would be substantially taller than me. Substantially. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, they might be the size of an, of an NBA center in terms of how tall it would go. Uh, maybe even taller because that's that's if you take paper still wrapped in a in a, a wrapper you know where it's completely compressed. Once you've taken them out and people have written on them, they don't lay quite as flat. So my guess is it could be 20, 30 feet tall at that point because it might be as high as seven or eight feet when it's brand new paper coming out of a you know tight package of of uh, you know pristine paper. So I, I agree with what your friend said exactly. That, that's that if someone says, what's your evidence, though? What's your evidence? I'd be like, okay, so let me tell you, if I win the lottery for 10 straight weeks but never buy a lottery ticket, <laughs> do you think you might assume that something funny is going on? <laughs> or, do yep. I, or, do you have to like, or do you have to have video of me uh, stealing lottery tickets or doing something else? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, here, yeah. I mean, here's the thing that comes to play. That's the point I made, and I'll, I'll keep making it. It's like, you know, first of all, we, the two things that you know I try to you know make points to people is this: number one, the court's going to have to make a decision, and I would like to see Trump sue for two reasons. One, if this is available, we can prove it. Then let's prove it. If we can't, then America would be better off knowing the system is working better than what we think. The other aspect is is that the Democrats in a lot of these states, basically, especially either judges or governors, extended periods where ballots can keep coming in in violation of state law. In other words, they didn't make laws that say we're going to add an extra nine days to count. It was, yeah, we're just going to do it. 
in the case of uh, North Carolina, it's a good example where they literally did that. But here's what happened. They got sued. And then, of course, the, the Democrat attorney general, quote, unquote, settled with the Democratic operative who was suing them. And to do this, and the legislator was kept out of the legislation, the, the legislators were kept out of this. Right. And, and I would just say it, I, I've taught constitutional law, so I know something about it. And we have yeah. precedence on this exact topic. Some people are fond of saying that in 2000, the Supreme Court crowned Trump, uh, excuse me, uh, Bush president. They didn't. What they said was that the Florida legislature under the Constitution had the power to make up the process to determine the deadlines and all the procedures that would be used to select the state's electoral votes, and that it had done so, and that courts were now stepping in and changing the statute radically, sometimes multiple times in a week. And they said that cannot be because the Constitution does not give them the power to effectively go in and become a new legislature. And, um, and so what, what he was just saying, I think, is very relevant because the legislature of these states could have, even this summer, if it had chosen to, changed the procedures and the laws based on the, the pandemic and said, we're going to change the procedures because we want to do this, this, and this. And you know what? The Supreme Court would have said they have the right to do that. But they didn't do that. They chose not to. And then some bureaucrat decides to do it anyhow. And that means they've taken upon themselves an authority the Constitution specifically gives to the state legislature, not to anyone else, judge or otherwise. Well, uh, but we've got a whole bunch of those. In other words, uh, we've got... um, of course, we have some that are not going to be challenged because they came up with, you know, enough plurality that that uh, they don't have. We don't have to worry about it. But uh, there are there are uh, several of these states that have. Well, for example, um, uh, North Carolina. They they said, you know, you have to postmark your ballot by the uh, by the uh, the election, the, uh, elect- the 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 date of the election, but as long as it gets to us, um, you know, in a reasonable time, uh, then uh, it can be counted. And, and that 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 if that's not extending it, that is certainly very close. That's yeah. what you're talking about, right, Tom? Yeah, exactly, exactly that. I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about because. Um, you're in effect. I mean, here's the thing, and this is the reason, the importance of a Barrett. That's going to be the importance of the judge. I mean, of the Senate, because the Senate is going to have to basically be the bulwark of the the firewall with freedom and what's letting the liberty. Basically, saying in effect, no, you know, be that firewall, and that's exactly what I'm talking about because. Uh, because you basically, I mean, here's the thing. The left have been doing this for years. Change the rules. Go extra constitutionality in changing the rules, whether it's using the bureaucrats to make the laws, whether it is, you know, and I think maybe we should talk more about, let's say, the impact of COVID and looking at, you know, that and what's happened, how much a crisis engineered power beyond 
what any governor should ever have. You know, let me put this well, way. Hold, hold that thought, Tom. Hold that, yes. It's, uh, we're listening to the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You're listening to the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we're uh, rehashing some of the uh, f- the few things we learned uh, uh, in in uh, uh, through our our electoral system uh, because we don't get very much else. So, um, Tom, pick up your thought. Okay. Uh, yeah. What was my thought there? A second. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, start a new one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Okay. The, yeah. The, the constitutionality. I mean, basically, what we are witnessing within the political left today is the, and one of the things was COVID. Let's look at the COVID crisis. Well, I should say, the crisis that became, you know, the COVID that became a crisis. I mean, we're talking about a virus that basically kills two to three. For a thousand people, and you know the flu for the past decades went for a thousand. So in effect, we shut down the economy, basically deal with the virus to quote unquote that may kill one or two more people per thousand. And we've done far more damage to our society. But here's the thing: we have actually governors have actually taken upon themselves to determine what is a non-essential business and what is essential. And it's not always been done in a, ra- you know, in a rational fashion, to say the least. We've seen churches be closed down, but we've seen protests allowed if they're for the right cause. In effect, the freedom of religion has been interrupted. Freedom of speech is interrupted if you're certain groups of people. But if you're on the right side, you can protest all you want. And we've literally have seen businesses be shut down, people fined, and people and businesses going out. And the thing is, uh, this is to me the rehearsal for the Green New Deal. Uh, this is the way I view it. It's the rehearsal for the Green New Deal because now they know they can get away with it. That's the tragedy of this. They are getting away with it in states like New York, in states like California. States like Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania. Of course, they aren't in Pennsylvania. They actually a federal judge came in and said, you can't do this anymore. And immediately their unemployment numbers went down to a 3%. I wonder if there's a connection. But you get the point. They, and I guess the baby George, you're a constitutional lawyer. Let me throw the, you know, to me, you know, how far can a governor go to deny businesses the right to open and to close? Even in a so-called emergency, where are the limits? Um, you know, it's an interesting question. I mean, there aren't. It's not quite the, as well defined because we haven't had a lot of those kinds of emergencies. But there's clearly some 
uh, precedent that helps flesh this out. Obviously, governors have uh, authorities that the president doesn't have. And what I mean by that is the president doesn't have the authority, for example, to punish teenagers who skip high school. Uh, Truancy laws are all state-based because the Constitution doesn't give the federal government the power to require educational attendance. But every state has that power because the original concept was the federal government needed to have very strictly limited powers, but the states had broader powers. Um, but they do not have as broad a powers as they've claimed to have. You see this with, for example, Governor Whitmer in Michigan. Um, almost every one of her um, emergency orders has been overturned in federal court because they're arbitrary and capricious. And many of the closings of churches, you know, so you, you can – you can le- and we had, of course, one high-profile Supreme Court case that didn't. I don't understand why. It was stupid. And again, it was Judge Roberts who seems to have gone mushy in the head. I don't know if he has early onset of Alzheimer's or what. But bottom line is this. In Nevada, you could go into a casino and spend your entire day indoors in relatively close proximity to others gambling. And that was okay, and of course the virus doesn't spread there. But if you wanted to go to a church and strictly uh, socially distance, so that you're only sitting every other pew and six feet apart, even if you're in the same pew, unless it's somebody that lives in your home, like maybe your spouse, so you're already part of the same germ pool, as it were, um, that, that was not legal. That was punishable. It was a crime. And the courts look at that generally, other than you know the idiot John Roberts, um, and they go, wait a minute, you can't do that. And other courts, federal courts, have overruled and said you can't do that. So the bottom line is, um, they have limited. Um, they have to treat people fairly. That's one of our requirements of you know equal protection under of, under the law. So, um, and then on top of that, you have special protections for religion. Religion actually has a special provision in it. You know, I'm, my right, for example, to own a, um, I don't know, you know, uh, I think of something that's, you know, might be cool, to own a scientific calculator isn't guaranteed under the Constitution. But my right to own a gun is. So, you know, you know I'm not suggesting I support the idea of government, you know, banning uh, scientific cal- graphing calculators. Uh, I'm just saying that if they wanted to, they'd have uh, an easier time doing it because there's no constitutional protection for it. But uh, but that's what happens is is the they and that's the way religion is. Religion has constitutional protections. Um, it's it, so it's just frustrating because they passed rules that had no basis uh, and no compelling state interest because that's the the test is usually you ask yourself what's the state's interest if it's compelling we might let them do it. We might not. It depends on if there's other ways they could do it that are less, um, less intrusive. An example would be um, in Michigan, you weren't even allowed to go out on your own boat in the middle of one of the Great Lakes. And those are so big that you could socially distance by miles if you wanted to. Six feet wouldn't be a problem. And uh, even on a, on a beautiful sunny day, you wouldn't have a problem. I've been on Great Lakes during a beautiful sunny day. They're gargantuan. And you can sometimes see other boats off in the distance on the horizon, but you don't ever see them right next to you. It's just so big. And yet they, they did that. Of course, you know, 
her husband, of course, did not abide by that rule, but the rest of the state was expected to. The question is, is what's the state's interest in preventing you from going out on a boat? They may have an interest in preventing you from spreading the disease, but this isn't related. And so the problem is there's these tests you have to employ to ask yourself, is this regulation, is this diminution in your freedom called for? And, uh, you know, the example of the draft, you know, the draft is a diminution in your freedom because they're potentially telling you for the next two years you're going to be uh, wearing the U.S. uniform and fighting for your country. Um, but the state has a compelling interest in being able to defend itself from foreign powers. And so that would be understandable. And there's not really another way to do it. You know, we don't have, uh, you know, an, you know not, it's not like Star Wars where we can build an army of, uh, of uh, droids to defend us. You know, that's not quite where we're at yet. But, you know, bottom line is the so it's kind of a common sense question of is this restriction on your freedom reasonable? Or is there something the state could do to promote its interest that uh, doesn't impinge on you? Because otherwise you could see a state saying we're going to outlaw showering in the morning because people fall and hurt themselves in the shower. You know, who thinks that that's going to that that the courts would say, yep. The state has the power to mandate that you can't bathe. I don't think so. I think that gets overturned. So the point well, is even states have limited powers. Well, um, we um, maybe uh, don't need – we're probably not quite that deep into this issue, that issue right now. But uh, generally speaking now, uh, who's going to win? Who's gonna, in, let's, let's say in January 20th. Or whatever the date is, who's going to be who's going to be taking the oath of, the oath of office? Tom, what do you think? Uh, based on everything right now, uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to be Biden. Uh, I think the real question, unless you can prove that voter fraud truly existed, like what we just you know talked about earlier. That's going to be difficult to overturn, and I'm not sure how many more votes there are left in Michigan and Wisconsin to grab, much in the same way with Arizona. You know, I keep, you know, how much votes are left in Arizona to grab. Um, Because now that went, you know, I just noticed the other day, that went from to Biden back to, eh, you know, they kind of almost say they to leaning Biden. Uh, I don't know. It's a tough issue. I mean, because just there's too many things going on. I, like I said, I want to see him do this because I think it would be good for the country to see to what extent the Democrats are willing to go to win an election. Uh, but I, I don't know. It's just I, it, to me, it would be a very difficult thing to find. I don't know. It's. I guess my question is, I'm not. Uh, well, I don't the, think that we know. We know in any specificity what, uh, what 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 are the tools that are available to uh, investigators uh, to uh, uh, you know come come up with various uh, uh, means of determining whether this uh, uh, situation is is legitimate and whether it needs. What can? How can we prove one way or the other that it is uh, is or is not uh, a valuable and uh, and 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 legitimate uh, 
exercise of the uh, of the uh, uh, electorate. Because um, frankly, I, I, there's a lot of things that have happened <clears throat> in the uh, world of uh, investigative science uh, since uh, 20, even 2016 that I certainly don't know about, and I don't think most of us do. And I think we're in a position of finding that there are means at the disposal of these investigators now that we really never anticipated. However, I, I have no idea how this is all going to come out, but I do think it's going to be prolonged, and I don't think that Trump is going to give up easily. And then if the shoe gets on the other foot, I don't think that Biden will give up easily. He, he can't afford to. So yeah. uh, I, I just see I just see it. That's the reason I didn't even go into a lot of detail in my uh, weekly column, because uh, I, I just don't think that we know enough. We don't yeah. know the we don't know the uh, factual base. We don't know what the procedures are. We don't know what the investigative methodologies uh, can be applied to uh, establish or or the veracity or or authenticity of uh, a very plus uh, of various uh, ballots. And then the other thing is, what about the variation in state laws? So. I, I just see it as kind of a, uh, you know, it's 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 an unknown. It's 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 a mystery. <laughs> the whole thing is, is is just a mystery. I, that's my view. I tend to. Um, I, I think a lot of what both of you said makes sense. I'm a little more optimistic. Um, I think that uh, there's still a, a reasonably good chance. Um, I'm not saying it's a certainty, but a reasonably good chance that Donald Trump is inaugurated in, in January. But my reasoning won't be, is it because a court will sit down, uh, the, the, you know, the federal court or the Supreme Court is going to go through ballots one by one and determine which ones are valid and which ones aren't. I think that the history for them is going to be they're going to up, uphold the state laws that existed at the time of the election uh, on the books, not ones that bureaucrats or other courts or other people decided to change them to. And once that happens, some ballots will have to be cast aside because those ballots were not cast legally. Those ballots were cast outside the legal system. And, and so I think, and I also think that it's not that hard to figure out that something's wrong when you have essentially a, you know, a, a truckload, at least a pickup truckload full of um, ballots that are found and every single one of them is for one party. That's not, there's no universe in which that's possible. That's just sheer mathematically and statistically, that is not possible. Keep that thought. We uh, have to take yeah. a break here. This is the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Soon in the U.N. the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Dr. Larry Show on the Master News Radio Network. Uh, we're um, 
featuring a, a wholly different uh, type of uh, 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 writing on uh, on uh, the the, the uh, my my uh, website this week, and uh, we just finished a book on uh, entirely different subject that get our minds off some of this uh, business that we're going through uh, nationally, and that is the. Uh, it's a book called The Suburban Cowboy, and that is uh, how do you, how do you uh, uh, become uh, back into your your boyhood uh, interest in horses when you're in your middle age, and it uh, recounts my uh, my uh, experiences in uh, the 1990s uh, when uh, my my daughter decided that. Uh, she wanted to learn how to ride a horse, and I was going to teach her. So uh, anybody wants a little lift on some kind of a different uh, uh, topic altogether, uh, go to drlarryonline.com and look for the category of personal story. In fact, it's featured uh, right on the front uh, this week, and uh, you can <laughs> you can. Uh, Take a little break, guys. <laughs> so, uh, George, you were my talking. Question, my question, though, is just is, is teaching uh, your daughter to ride a horse as much fun as teaching them to ride a stick shift? Ride what? A stick shift car. Stick shift. You know. Oh, uh, it's uh, much more dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I just wanted to get a sense yeah. of the. Uh, yeah. So well, go yeah, ahead, Tom. Speaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of stick shifts, because I, I, when I was like learning, the, I, I learned a guy, got my driver's license, and and I remember asking my dad, I want to learn how to drive a stick because I thought that would be cool. And my dad had this look on his face, like this quizzical look, and he said, "Why?" He said, "Well, Dad, it'd be cool." And he said, "Tom, you realize when they did an automatic transmission, I did somersault." Because I didn't have to shift gears. All I had to do was put the keys in the ignition, put to D, and take off. And, he said, and you want me to teach you to take uh, – and you want to basically take automated history back 30 years. <laughs> I, so who won? I did not, I did not learn to drive a stick. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> but I always remember well, that because it was like – yeah, it was his way of saying, you know, it's time to move forward, it's not to move backwards. And I thought that was very interesting, uh, which is kind of an, also an interesting way to kind of go into another subject. I hate to, is, you know, about America, you know, you know what's that move forward? Because uh, here's the other problem I see, you know, with the, the political left in this country, is they worry more about not achievements but equality of results, not achievement. It's not about you know growing the economy, but it's not even about being an, inter- an innovative person taking the next level. It's almost like they want to put a stop to history. Now, let's go to wind and solar. Uh, let's not use fossil fuels. Let's not use nuclear energy. Let's go back to the 19th century. I mean, there's an element there that – the, the adventures of human beings to move forward and to explore uh, is going to—I mean, that's the one thing about Trump that you know, like the space program, you know, what redesign, redeveloping the trace program, going to Mars, going to the moon. 
get back into space, become adventurous again. Uh, that's not on the uh, Biden agenda. Well, it's a, he's got a different group of people that he's trying to please. You know, yeah. these, those but, people yeah. are not not of the uh, <clears throat> space travel and all that, which wowed us when we were younger. Uh, yeah. Doesn't even hardly well, interest them. Well, here's the, you know, the the final point, you know, and I want most of you to comment. Here's the point: the real point I'm trying to make is this: it's as if we're gonna we're not gonna grow the economy. We're not gonna have people be innovative, be creative. Uh, it's like, you know, the one thing the the one aspect I always figured about Obama is Obama made mediocrity cool. And and this is what I'm seeing here. Again, it's mediocrity cool. It's instead of being the best you can be, it's just, just be, you know, don't worry about advancing. Don't worry about improving yourself. Don't worry about being the best you can be. We're not encouraging people to do – this is not a movement that encourages people to do that. It's the complete opposite, and it's going to have an impact. Because uh, you know, the number of entrepreneurs are declining, the number of people starting their own businesses and things of this nature. Uh, uh, are you sure about your that? Thoughts, guys? Well, uh, I just, let me I don't, let me put this uh, let me put this. Way. I know among white, yeah, I think minorities have an increase in entrepreneurship, but not necessarily white. They've taken a step backward. You know, I have to look at the data. Last time I looked at the data, that's yeah, we're, we're seeing that. We're seeing that. Well, I, I, a lot of that has to do with the availability of capital. And yeah. Frankly, uh, it's a lot. It's a little easier if you have kind of a, if you don't have some kind of family connections or, or some other way of uh, getting private capital. It's uh, a lot easier. It's a lot easier in the the. the uh, Capital for starting a new uh, business is a lot more available if you're uh, if you're a uh, a minority and live in one of these enterprise zones. I mean, they're talking about what is it, sixty billion dollars, something like that, that they that they were going to put into it. Um, that would really uh, that would really get entrepreneurship going. In fact, it already has. They've already put about sixty million. In. There's no it's sixty yeah. billion that they put in. They're talking about five hundred, five hundred billion. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know. I, I, that that kind of goes against uh, what I've been hearing. But well, uh, I guess my point. Yeah, the point I would make. I mean, like I say again, the, you know, you know, the last day I saw minorities are seeing they were the. I mean, the number of new businesses were actually coming from minorities, Hispanics, blacks, and Asians, not necessarily from whites. And the point, but let me throw but it's the mindset that bothers me. It's the mindset. It's like, you know, when we were growing up, it was like, be the best you can be, dream big. And today, I don't hear that. I don't see that. I mean, you can go to colleges today and walk out, and you're not going to be talking about dreaming big. Period. Uh, uh, it's more about woke, being awoken, being whatever. Uh, but be, and that's the, that, maybe that's the point I'm trying to make is we're losing that mindset of that produces an, an innovation and 
and makes us adventurers and travelers and whatever word you want to use, takes us to that next step. You know, that's not being encouraged. Do you ever watch the show Shark Tank? No, I have not. I'm sorry? Uh, no, I have not. Well, you ought to do that because you find in that in that environment, you find uh, all kinds of enthusiasm and ingenuity. And uh, it, 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 it certainly gives you a different view of entrepreneurship. And when they have kids, it's been on long enough now that when they uh, they have kids come on there that say, well, um, I learned about being an entrepreneur from watching this show. It's been a, you know, it's been a lifelong um, ambition of mine to be on this show, and they're just very pleased to um, to do it. But but the, but what that really means is. That there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, I guess enthusiasm and 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 and, uh, and uh, a lot of enthusiasm and and, uh, and and you know yearning for the kind of a lot of influence that 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 program has had and has led to others many other projects and. I don't know. I, if you watch that a little bit, you get a little different uh, slant on this whole idea of attitude. Well, maybe my problem is is that when I I, I listen to the idea, I listen to the philosophy, I listen, I watch uh, you know college student, you know, you watch these younger people. I mean, there is an aspect of aspiration that they have, but my point would be is the policies that we're enacting is designed to. Put Rain that in. I mean, you may have the chart chance, but we have policies that are designed to keep those people from being entrepreneurial. That's my view. I mean, what about you? Well, if, I mean, if you get the, if these people win the election, uh, and especially if they win the <coughs> win the Congress, uh, uh, you can yeah, you really count on that. I mean, that yeah. there's no question that that they're. Uh, Approach is very, very uh, uh, institutional, and very much toward big government, getting the uh, all the rest of us uh, making us comfortable. God, I hate that word. So, um, so George, uh, been quiet here for a while. What do you? Uh, what's going Just on? Just enjoying your guys' points. <laughs> well, I know you're you're an uh, interesting little mind there. You're always digging up something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. After being up so late last night, my mind probably isn't working near as fast as it sometimes does. But I am reminded of one of the things that you all kind of alluded to earlier, and it reminded me of a quote from Thomas Jefferson that I thought was instruction instructive. Um, if we say this in mean, if we say this in modern terms, it might sound mean. Somehow, when Jefferson says it, it sounds profound. He said, "Timid men prefer the calm of despotism to the tempestuous sea of liberty." And I think to myself, that's a little bit what we see happening. I think in the world today, is we have people who are basically saying, "These are timid people that are fearful of everything." 
They're fearful of viruses that uh, aren't actually that deadly. They're fearful of opportunity. They're fearful of student loans, even though they voluntarily undertook them. All this kind of fear running around, and they're basically clamoring for someone to fix it all. And so they want the calm of despotism. And I have to wonder what happened to us as a nation, because I think it used to be that America was overwhelmingly interested in the, uh, the sea of liberty. And sometimes the sea of liberty has waves, but they wanted that sea. And uh, well, there's I, a lot I, of, I feel there's, troubled There's a that. lot of disillusionment that's taken place through this last, particularly uh, we're still feeling the effects of that, that uh, Great Recession. You know, and and that actually didn't just come out of nowhere. There were a lot of people that that uh, that ha- had been in 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 Syria getting more and more serious trouble because of the uh, flight of manufacturing jobs and and uh, they were just getting more and more uh, pro- uh, stressed. Uh, both financially and then because of that uh, emotionally, and then uh, and, and on top of that, then uh, the whole the whole roof fell in, and you know if you're a kid that starts out let's say uh, let's say in uh, in twenty in twenty o five or six and you're maybe seven or eight years old and you go for the next ten years of your life watching your parents suffer and uh, Maybe they break up because of uh, all the stresses and and uh, your life is hell. And they just don't get so excited about the kind of, some of the kind of things that we're talking about uh, because of that, because they've had, they've had a lot of trouble. And I think I think that's one of the things that that the older uh, politicians and and uh, activists don't really think about. When they they think about the who are they really trying to um, who impress and who are they really trying to deal with, and it's not all that clear. Uh, these people are they've they've had a really a lot of them left. They saw their big brother go th- you know pile up all this this uh, debt going to college, and then. Uh, and then he couldn't get a job, and he ended up uh, working for McDonald's, and very disillusioned. And there's just there's a whole there's a whole generation there that's really, really, really been uh, in uh, serious in serious trouble uh, emotionally and and financially. And I think that we 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 don't we don't think about that very often. You make a good point. I, I do think um, that when we struggle with problems, uh, there's a time when we kind of said to ourselves, I've got to fix this. And I do think that we're much more apt as a society, I don't mean the three of us, to ask what the government can do to fix it. And I would argue that's a dangerous position to be in when you basically feel that um, your best solution for fixing life's problems is asking someone else who doesn't love you or care about you to fix your problems. And when you're asking a government bureaucrat to fix your problems, that's what you're asking. It's not like going to your parents. It's not like going to a loved one or even a close friend to ask for help. 
you're going to a cold bureaucrat who actually doesn't care about you at all. And so I think that's one of the reasons why maybe people are jaded is because they feel at a loss because they've been trusting the wrong people to help them. And it seems to me we ought to, we all need help and we all need sometimes advice and other things to keep us, uh, you know, moving in the right direction at different times in our life. And we probably ought to do a little better job of, of listening to the voices that care about us and demonstrate they care about us instead of kind of trying to elect people who will make sure that uh, they put policies in place that make us think that some cold and different bureaucrats going to care about us. And it just, it worries me because I think you're right. People have these problems and they are frustrated and they don't know how to solve them. But I do think that if we look to ourselves first and our family second and uh, close friends and associates third, we'll do a lot better than if we jump immediately on board with the idea of if only there was a law, if only there was a government department, and because uh, that's going to be a loser. Well, um, I, I I agree with you theoretically, but if I'm a kid in that position and nobody else has ever helped my dad or me or my mother, and uh, now I'm coming to the point where I have to decide what to do, uh, everything else I've seen has not worked, so if somebody comes along and says, We'll use the government to fix fix it. Why not? Let's try it. You know, we tried everything else. And uh, the problem is, is the government fixing has been tried too, <laughs> all yeah, over the globe. Yeah, they and, have, uh, but but I don't know that. I'm too young. Uh, okay. Well, that you make a good point. I'm uh, I'm just worried that, uh, and part of this I would say is conservatives' fault because I think we don't often explain the benefits of of freedom and opportunity and we don't do a good job of of you know sometimes we're almost apologetic about it i think we ought to you know you you read the founders and what they had to say they were unapologetic about the value of freedom and uh, i think we could do with some of that it's one of the things i've liked about trump i just sometimes think a few of his tweets cut back on the effectiveness of the other messages that are worthwhile well gentlemen i want to thank you both for uh, taking this time to to uh, share with with us uh, your uh, your thoughts on a rather uninspiring night, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I would uh, want to thank you both, Tom and uh, and George, and uh, this is Dr. Larry uh, Fidoa. Uh, I'm uh, wishing everybody a uh, good future in spite of. The way it looks right now, so God bless us and God bless America.